Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. One of the problems with churches today is enough scripture is not read. I don't believe in that. I believe if we're going to cover Revelation 17 and 18, we're going to read it. Part of me wanted to back off a little bit this morning. I realized that I would not be a faithful shepherd if I did that. I wouldn't be faithful to you. I wouldn't be faithful to God. Last week, I was headed to the office last Thursday, and I heard David Jeremiah on the radio. It wasn't him preaching. It was towards the end where he was talking about different things. But he made this statement. So much of the world is in the church, and so much of the church is in the world, you can't tell the difference. Beloved, the church is supposed to make a difference in the world, not the world make a difference in the church. Christians today, professing Christians, are living by and large, the same lives as unbelievers. The statistics show. Statistics don't lie. The way we handle money, the way we spend our money is the same as the world, by and large. According to the statistics in 2014, only 3 to 5% of Christians tithe anymore. For Christian families making less than 20000 per year, 8% of them gave at least 10% in tithing. For families making a minimum of 75000 or more a year, the figure drops to just 1%. How can we spend so much money in the world and not give to God? How can we buy bigger homes and more cars, more jewelry, the fine things that Revelation 18 speaks of. How can we buy all of this and not give to God? By and large, the generosity of Christians in our culture is no different than the generosity of unbelievers. We raise our kids the same way as the world. We get them involved in every single activity of the world and we want them to be good at what the world is good at at the same time neglecting what their spiritual life is supposed to be. We get them involved in competitions. We get them involved in entertainment. Now you've got Traveling League which takes families out of church at least twice a month and all along we don't realize we are teaching them to love the world and not God. I'm not against sports. I play to myself. I'm not against 
competitions, but I am against it when it interferes with the spiritual development of our children. By and large, Christians find ways of entertaining themselves the same way as unbelievers do. They participate in and watch the same sinful things the world does, and it grieves God's Spirit. When it comes to divorce, Christians are just as likely to get one as the unbelievers in the world. The statistics now show that the divorce rate of the unbeliever and the one who professes to believe are neck and neck. Statistics also show that Christians, by and large, are living just as immoral lifestyles as the unbelievers. They're just as likely to have premarital sex as those who don't belong to the church or profess to be a Christian. And men who profess to be Christians are watching pornography at about the same rate as those who don't belong to a church. All across this auditorium, men and women watched pornography last week. James 4.4, I'm giving you Scripture now before anyone heaps condemnation on me. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17, to 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever." The same apostle who wrote Revelation 17 and 18, who was given the vision, there is the same one who wrote 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. In chapter 17 and 18, Babylon is representative of the world. It represents the world religious, social, economic, political system that exists today. And where we left off last week was on the seventh bowl. And as we have been going through the judgments of God in the book of Revelation that are very real, that are very coming, we've seen the intensity pick up. We have seen that the seven trumpets unleashed seven more judgments, the bowl judgments, and this is the seventh bowl judgment. This is the result. This is the collapse of the world system. This is the end of everything as, escal as the intensity of God's judgment continues to escalate. This world system is coming down. I mean, would you buy a house if you knew it had faulty electrical and knew it was going to burn down? And yet Christians are buying homes that are going to burn down. They're buying homes. They're moving furniture in. They're investing in things that are going to 
ultimately collapse. Some things of no eternal value, and the statistics prove it. They don't lie. All across this auditorium, there are people who don't give to the Lord of what the Lord requires. All across this auditorium, there are people that are living their lives just like the world outside of church. What do we see here? We see, let's begin with that. What do we see? We see a a woman riding a beast, and both are scarlet. The beast is scarlet. The woman's wearing scarlet. Scarlet speaks of the blood of Jesus in the Scriptures, but it also speaks of sin. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing the culmination of sin, if you will. In, in fact, in chapter 18, we see how sinful the world really gets in verse 2. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon, the greatest fallen, has fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. The world continues to just become more sinful, sinful, sinful. In fact, 18 describes it as reaching its limit. It reaches its limit. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double. And it breaks the heart of every believing Christian that is truly surrendered to the Lord to know that we live in this time and this time of really harlotry, and that's what the woman represents. She represents the false religious system. The woman in chapter 17 that's riding the beast, she represents this false religious system, the false religion that pulls people away from the true and living God through deception. She stands for infidelity, prostitute cannot remain faithful. She is a harlot. Verse 5 declares such. So she stands for this infidelity. A prostitute cannot remain faithful to anyone. It's not in her character. She'll sleep with as many men as she needs to. The harlot speaks of those that turn from God and leave the faithful relationship with Him and turning towards the world. The, The harlot stands for idolatry. We tend to run from the one true God to the false gods of this world. We leave the one who can truly satisfy the deepest needs of our lives to serve idols that will always leave us empty and unfulfilled and bring us into bondage and slavery. This woman, she's a prostitute, the worst forms of immorality, and this speaks really of spiritual prostitution, parting God to sell themselves to the world. And this is what most professing Christians in this country are doing. God warned about this in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, He warned His people in Exodus chapter 34, verses 15 to 16. It says, Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. God warned them. 
He warned them, but did they listen? They didn't listen. And Judges, at a time where everyone did what was right in their own sight, it says in chapter 2, verse 17, that they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And this harlot that we see in, in Revelation chapter 17 is just not any old harlot. She is the mother of harlots. She gave birth to all spiritual prostitution. That's what you read at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 11. In fact, that city was founded by a man named Nimrod whose very name means we will rebel. And so they gather together. They unite around a tower that says we are going to reach the heavens. We are going to reach the heavens. And God does what? He scatters them. He confuses their language. They run all over the world to all four corners, bringing their idolatry, bringing their anti-God attitudes, their corrupted ways of thinking, their corrupted ways of living because they did not want to fall under the authority of God. The whole corrupted world system is rooted right there in Babylon beginning in Genesis chapter 10 and 11, right after the flood, when God takes everything out with a flood and starts all over. In chapter 9, we see Noah starting over with his family. But by chapter 10, you've got a table of nations. And by 11, they're rebelling against God. This prostitute in chapter 17 of Revelation is attractive. Look at verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. She's attractive. That's the idea there. If you've ever understood anything about prostitution, they're going to make themselves as attractive as they can to lure as many men as they can into that trap. They get dressed up. They put on the short shorts, the mini skirts, the silk knitted stockings. They show as much skin as they possibly can. And it's all for one thing, to lure. Lure. To lure from a faithful relationship into an unfaithful one. Does it mean to be faithful? The beast represents the Antichrist. He's going to be the one carrying out the persecution of the believers. And, and that's the way it's always been. World governments have always really persecuted the true believers. We see that even rolling in that direction in our country. But in verse 6, when John has this vision, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. She's the one drunk with the blood, but she's on the beast riding it. The beast is the one that is carrying out this persecution against the true believers of Jesus Christ. This Antichrist will be heading that up as we saw in Revelation chapter 13. In chapter 17 here, it is confirmed that he's going to be demon-possessed. Look at verse 8, the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. That bottomless pit is where the worst wicked 
most evil demonic spirits live, this man who is going to be the final world ruler, and that's another thing I would say about him, he's a final world ruler, is going to be demon-possessed, demon-possessed, and he is going to come after anyone professing Jesus Christ, and the woman false religion will be drunk with the blood of the martyrs. In verses 9 to 12, we see where he is the world ruler. It says, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eight and is of the seven and is going to perdition the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. The question is, what do those seven mountains represent? Some believe that it represents Rome because there's seven hills that surround Rome. I don't believe that it stands for that. I believe that it stands for the seven world empires, the six that have already showed up, and the one that is going to come with the Antichrist. When John was given this vision, we had Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece, who were all world empires that had faded off the scene. They had risen to prominence, they had risen to a world empire, and then they faded off the scene. When John was given this vision, Rome was the world empire, and that is the one that is, that makes up six, and there is one coming. That one, Rome, has faded, and we've got one world empire that's going to come and rise to the scene, and that is going to be led by the Antichrist. In verse 11, the Antichrist is seen as both the seventh and eighth roller. This is because in chapter 13, there was an assassination attempt on him, He suffered a deadly wound according to the Scriptures, and he was resurrected. So he is both the seventh and the eighth ruler. That's why verse 11 reads that way. And so he's going to lead this ten-district kingdom, probably split up like Hunger Games or something, all these different districts. There's going to be ten rulers under him, but he is going to be the main authority on the world scene at that time, and he's going to be the beast that is looking to eat up the different Christians running around throughout the world at that time, people who profess to be a Christian. But something interesting happens. We see where the harlot is riding the beast, the false religious system and the government are hand in hand at this time, and the reason that the Antichrist is so cordial to any religion is because religion will bring people together. And he is going to use the religious system of the world at that time just to unite people, but then worship will be directed towards him because he is going to be a man who is arrogant, driven by demonic power, driven by Satan who believes that he could rise above God and nothing will take him down. But something interesting is going to happen after he uses this harlot, this prostitute, 
for his own purposes. He's going to turn on her, and he is going to destroy the harlot. In verses 15 to 17, we see that. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. All the world is going to be seduced. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate, naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. He's going to turn on the world religious system of that time and he's going to attack it. He's going to set himself up as God, if you will. And then we see that we don't see this harlot anymore. She's, she's gone. The false religious system of the world is going to fade away. The very false religion that seduces so many people in this world. There's nothing that is more dangerous than religion without commitment to Jesus Christ. And so at, at this time, all false religion will be wiped off of the face of the planet through the beast and his ten confederate united kingdom there. But this is all according to God's purpose, verse 17, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose. So everything that man found comfortable in the sake of religion will be destroyed according to the purposes of God. There's two enemies to the church. Let me tell you, two enemies to the church. One is persecution, the other one is seduction. One is persecution, the other one is seduction. Both attack the church, but in different ways. The persecution actually will purify a church and works in favor of God. But seduction wrecks a church. Seduction pulls God's people away. It seduces them from a true, deep commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why you've got so many people that call Christ Community Church their home church, but they're maybe here once or twice a month. They're being seduced by the world. They don't see it fit to be involved in church on a regular basis. They want to serve God on their terms, but they think they're okay with the Lord. We do not come to the Lord on our terms. We come to the Lord on His terms. And so what America is facing today, what our country is facing today, not so much the enemy of persecution, but they are facing the enemy of seduction. They are being seduced by the material things of this world. This is why it will be Nothing for people to leave church today and go buy an expensive lunch but give God a dollar in the, the offering plate. These are facts. It would be remiss to not be honest and to be truthful with you this morning on such a horrendous passage that tells us what this world is coming to. Leonard Ravenhill said these words. Should have put it on the screen, but listen to me. The true man of God is heartsick, grieved at the worldliness of the church, grieved at the toleration of sin in the church, grieved at the prayerlessness in the church. He is disturbed that the corporate prayer of the church no longer pulls down the strongholds of the devil. The world is seducing the church just like a prostitute, seducing a man who can't control his passions. 
So there's the woman, the beast. But what does that say to us today? And you're probably thinking, Walter, you've said it all. We don't want to. <laughs> if we're to look at Revelation chapter 17 and 18, and, and we know the outcome. We know the outcome of the false religion. We know the outcome of the political and economic system of this world. God pulls no punches. He reveals it all to us in His goodness and His grace because I believe what is revealed in Scriptures like Revelation 17 will accomplish its purpose. It will pull some people out of the world. It will get some Christians back on track again. It will surely fulfill its purpose. That's what Isaiah 55 says. It says God's Word always accomplishes its purpose. So if I was to give you what these passages say to you and I today, I would say, first of all, do not fall prey to the world. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley, with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.